I have to confess, uh, I think if when we get done, you, you may actually agree with me uh, that I might have the wrong title on the sermon this morning, um, which really doesn't mean anything. In fact, I'm working on being trained because I've, I, I've never really titled sermons before, um, which is okay. All right, we're almost there. So when we get done, if you think I'm correct, you can let me know. Man, you were right, Shane, you were wrong. Thank you. I believe what you're going to see with me today is that our journey with the disciples and the Jesus and through Mark, uh, it, it's actually about the disciples beginning to learn about who, who Jesus is and beginning their journey of discovering a truth about him that's going to change their life. Uh, I, I, I would say it this way. They're beginning to believe in who Jesus is. Um, and I was thinking about as we go into relationships, I don't know how many of you guys married the same person you dated. Ah, some of you understand what I meant. Like, you, you dated them, then you got married, and then at some point you wait, well, who is this? Uh, I love what Paul Tripp says about that. He said, the one you're dating is the imposter, right? Uh, because none of, us are, none of us are showing who we really are during our dating life, right? That'd be a bad sales tactic. Just, uh, guys... I want you to look at your brides right now and just come to that reality. They didn't know everything about you when they married you, or it probably wouldn't have happened. Just, it's the rea it's the truth. Uh, but in relationship, as we engage in relationship, how do we get to know one another? How, how do you do that? How do you develop that knowledge? It's, I, I do think it's very interesting in the marriage um, relationship that many, many times as we grow in our understanding of one another and our knowledge, there's things that become, well, let's just say it in a very Christian way, difficult to deal with about your spouse, right? I love that. No response. Crickets. I should have had crickets music ready for that. That would have been perfect. But the reality is, is that's the truth of relationship. It doesn't matter if you're married to somebody. It doesn't matter if you're hanging out with them as friends. The longer you spend together, you begin to rub on each other and you begin to realize there's things about them that aren't particularly favorable towards you getting everything you want. And so therefore, they're harder to live with. But the beauty in the design of God's plan for us in relationship is that as we, as we live in his plan, as we die to ourselves and we engage with one another, there's a, there's a beauty in a relationship that happens outside of those conflicts. Um, one of the most amazing things to me was a, a dear friend of mine, uh, Dave and Judy Vader, and they've given me permission to, to share their story. I just loved it. He showed up to church uh, one, it was, I think it was on their 47th anniversary or somewhere getting close to their 50th anniversary, wedding anniversary, and he shows up to church. And we had a sharing time just like this, and he, he stands up and says, I just want you all to know that my bride and I had a fight uh, yesterday morning, and it carried over into, into this morning, and we got it taken care of. Now, i got to be honest with you. In some settings, you might be a little discouraged because after 47 years, you, I, I know most of you young people, you're hoping that everything's going to be better soon. And it does. It gets better and better. But 
what Dave was sharing with me, he got in trouble because they were arguing over how he was vacuuming the living room. So the exciting thing is, in 47 years of marriage, you can get to the point where you argue over how you're helping your wife. You're helping as a family to take care of your home. The point was, as he shared with us the beauty in his marriage, the amazement of his bride and, and the relationship and how they still had conflict, he, he expounded this miraculous thing that happened in their life over 47 years, that he loved her more, that he cherished her more. He was still learning how to love her after all of that time, but it was the best that it had ever been. Can you imagine with me for just a minute, you're one of the disciples. This, this new guy comes into town, and John the Baptist says, man, boys, you got to follow him. And he says, hey, Come and follow me. I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. And then they start on this journey. We're, we're very, very early in their relationship. Can you imagine what it was like for them to pursue a relationship with Jesus? They're hanging out with him. They're spending time with him. They're getting to know him. And then they watch him preach this amazing message where everybody's in awe of him. And he casts a demon out right, right in front of the whole assembly. And everybody goes, wow. Remember our text last week? What is this new message, this new teaching with authority? And even the demons, even the unclean spirits respond to him. What an amazing thing. And so the disciples are in awe. I think they're, they're a little bit uh, starstruck here by Jesus. And watch what happens. Turn with me in Matthew chapter 1 still. Or sorry, Mark. You're right. Where's my... Uh, you actually, uh, some of the passages that you're going to, that you have in your, in your Bible, there will be Matthew 8 and Luke 4. If you want to go back and catch more of the context of this, there's some detail that, uh, that Mark leaves out for us. Matt, or Mark chapter 1. I don't know why I'm at Matthew today. I have no idea what that is. But if I say Matthew again, just recognize it's Mark. Mark. Chapter 1, verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So it's, they get done with their, with their experience at the synagogue, and they go to, to Peter's house, uh, Peter and Andrew, uh, Simon and Andrew, and they go there, and they're probably going there to rest and, and to get dinner, and Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She's ill with a fever, and the disciples immediately, did you catch Mark's intensity? Immediately, they begin to tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, this gal's sick. Could you... Just imagine that up to this point, there's many demon possessed, which, by the way, I don't know if that bothers you, but here they're in the Jewish, uh, this, this God's nation where, where the, the law is being taught and they're, they're making sacrifices. And in that scenario, they have many sick, but also many who are demon possessed. 
I, that, that doesn't jump out to you guys at all, does it? Th that just seems to be pretty extraordinary to me. And so Jesus is casting out all these demons. What a condition of the people. But, but here's Simon and Andrew, James and John, and they show up. Peter's mother-in-law is, is sick. And just on the twisted side, just so you guys know, I exonate all of my mother-in-law stuff, right? Nobody else, nobody else was is thinking anything negative about mother-in-laws, right? I, I was, I was convicted as I'm thinking through how how we we sometimes go right to our humor and we we can in we can distract ourselves from what God's really doing in this process. And I I thought, Shane, don't be an idiot. Why, why would you? Why would you take a cultural joke about about the difficulties in marriage? Because we're talking about relationship here, and why would you? Why would you place that in this process? So I just wanted to confess to you guys that I, I was I was thought I would be funny, and then the Lord said that's not funny, so knock it off. So I'm just confessing to you some of my own twistedness and, and the difficulties I have sometimes when I'm presenting things because I can be I can be just as big a distraction as, as anyone else in talking about this stuff. Simon was concerned about his mother-in-law and, and they recognized in Jesus that he had something special. I don't think they recognized Jesus for who he was yet, but they recognized that Jesus brought something different to the table, something different than any of the physicians that they had had at that time, something different than any of the scribes that had brought the law or taught them at that time. And so when they came to this process, Simon and the disciples said, Jesus, did you notice? Look, my mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And Jesus responds to that. And he heals his, uh, Simon and Andrew's, or Simon's mother-in-law. And it's interesting, in the process of healing the fever, in the, in the request of the disciples, I believe we see them beginning to say, there's something special. There's something different about Jesus. Look in Romans chapter 10. When we talk about this idea of beginning to believe, this idea of coming to knowledge and beginning to have it affect how we live, we're actually going to, what I love about Mark, and, and it's going to be so much fun, because we're going to watch the disciples struggle with us throughout the whole book of Mark. It's going to be, I hope it's going to be an encouragement to you as it is to me, as at times of watching the disciples wrestle with what they see Jesus doing and then what their flesh or their minds can conflict with them on in that note. But in Romans, Paul tells us this, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him who put, uh, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul is describing for us this concept of belief and faith and how this process works. And the disciples are in the beginning of this, this thing called belief. Now, one of the questions that you'd have to ask yourself is, what do you believe about Jesus? Right? I mean, as we're reading the text, as we're exploring who Jesus is, we have to ask ourselves, what do we believe about Jesus? Who is he? Why does he have all this power? I saw an ad. Uh, there's a, uh, the History Channel is doing the life of Jesus Christ. 
They got to explain something. They got to explain him. And uh, it was, I, I, I'm not going to watch it because my bride says I get mad when I watch those things. So just have a hard time tolerating their explanations for who he is. But when we think about belief, when we think about how we believe and where we're at, I would, I would encourage you to take a deep breath and recognize that we're probably all at different places, right? We're all at different spots in, in where we understand who Jesus is. The disciples were in different spots. The ones that he called, are on a, they're on a growth curve, if you will, of learning who he is. And they walked with him. They watched him do all of these things. You and I read about it. Do you think it's harder to come to a full recognition or, or realization of someone by reading about them? Do you think it's harder to learn about them there than it would be if we were to be spending time next to them? I believe that's probably a true thing. So where we're at with Jesus is, I think at times, can be challenging, which is one of the beauties of how he uses our life experience and integrates those things that we run into to build relationships. Uh, if you think about the conflict that you experience in your life, take school. Was that supposed to be a conflict? It was for me. I, I'm not sure if that's how it's supposed to be, uh, but it was a real challenge for me. I guess the, the whole, uh, you know, taking their stuff and, and, and executing what they wanted me to do. I, you guys probably wouldn't believe this, but I tended to... I tended to have to have the reason for why I'm doing it to be able to articulate to, to, to like play nice with my teachers. And in my English class, when I, I had a, a first year teacher, he had just come out of his doctorate school and he was really angry. I think that he was stuck in a community college and um, we were doing a discovery paper and I wrote my paper. And of course, I was a young pastor at the time, so I did it on single parenting and the effect, the negative effects, uh, you know, on single parenting, because I, I just thought, let's be a, a champion for Jesus in a community college. And uh, I, I remember the one time this, he, he looks at me and he said, hey, Shane, you know, you're doing fine, but why don't we just mix up your paragraphs and see what we come up with in a research paper? which is starting with a point and ending with a conclusion, right? That's that, this basic idea. And you develop your information for your... Let's just mix up the paragraphs and see what happens. I didn't, um, I didn't play well with them. Um, and I got an F. Surprisingly, I didn't pass his course. In the context of us being in relationship and building understanding in relationship, uh, there are times where we learn from those experiences that we go through. Now, I have learned a ton from failing that English class. You know, one of the things that I've learned is a concept of somebody else being in charge of my grades. There's an authority issue there. And there's a respecting their spot, their authority, and, and, and addressing that the, they owned that class. He owned that grade for me. And so I've learned a lot about that, being in that class, being in that experience. And there's been other schooling experiences that have been the same. I'm learning that in my marriage. I'm learning that with my children. 
I'm trying to learn that on the road. I'm trying to understand how God sees the authority that is put in my life and to respond to that. And I want that to be how I do that in my relationship with who Jesus is. So one of our challenges is we're reading the text, is we're wrestling with this truth. We're going to have to, in my mind, this is how it works for me, I'm just trying to imagine what it was like to be one of those disciples, to watch Jesus do all this stuff, to watch him heal people, to watch him respond. Uh, next week's going to be incredibly uh, exciting because Jesus doesn't respond correctly at all according to the disciples' ideas. Jesus heals the fever. I, I love how as Peter and the disciples are watching Jesus move and they bring him uh, Simon's mother-in-law and, and Jesus heals uh, his mother-in-law. He, he just, he takes her hand and, 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 and heals her. Immediately, they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. He, he didn't speak anything. He, we don't get any, any dialogue about what happened in that moment. We don't hear anything about her faith or any of the stuff that's happening around there. But he describes that she began to serve him. She began to serve them. Her healing was so complete that she went from being ill and not able to care for them that she was instantly up and began to serve and care for them. That's an incredible miracle. You know, we're going to see different miracles at different times where Jesus actually, people make acts of faith and they step out. But in this relationship with his disciples in this beginning time, um, we see a pretty incredible moment. The healing that Jesus brings is complete, and that's true in our lives as well. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Jesus brings healing, uh, it's complete. And the, I, I, I know that um, one of the great challenges for us, I think, at times is accepting that, uh, that what he's doing is supernatural in our life. That the purpose is that he's exercising are supernatural. You understand what I mean when I say that? that? That sometimes there's physical things that he doesn't heal here on this earth. I lost a very good friend to cancer. Um, he was my fire chief back in Enos Valley. And I got to tell you, we prayed like crazy for him. He gave his life to the Lord in the process. Tim was um, an amazing gentleman and was the guy that really got me into firefighting. I, I, he was the one that actually, you know, brought me into the, into the fire department and, and encouraged me to pursue that during my time there. Um, and he wasn't a believer before. Somehow what God took him through in that process with cancer, he gave his life to the Lord. And he didn't, God didn't heal him. And he, he left a bride and his son. Um, in the prime of his life, I would say. I think he was uh, like late 40s, early 50s when he went home. Ah, I would have loved for God to have healed him. And I don't know, I don't know all of the complexities and all of the, the, the eternal uh, issues that are being dealt with there, but I know in his life that that moment of meeting Jesus was the most paramount thing for him. And what God did in his life and through that time was absolutely amazing. Clearly, as we look at the text, we can see that 
It wasn't just the disciples who began to notice something about Jesus, right? What, it, what does it say uh, right after uh, uh, Simon's mother-in-law is up and serving them? Uh, verse 32 says that that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the midst of this process, as Jesus is becoming more prominent, as people are, are seeking him and learning about him, he's performing all these miracles and he's healing all the sick. And I, I believe that, that what they see in Jesus, they thought they were coming for physical stuff, but they were also, uh, the, the, what they ultimately were coming for was a supernatural uh, experience that, that Jesus brought that nobody else had brought. So why why does Jesus not let the enemy talk? Did you, do you notice that as you read through these texts, if you go back and you read Matthew and you read Luke's account and and you see where Jesus is interacting with the demons, almost every one of them, in fact, I think it's every one of them, testifies to who Jesus is. They they're, they're like, you are God. You're the Son of God. You're the Holy One. In fact, uh, look in Acts chapter uh, sixteen, and look at what. Look at what happens to Paul. Now, we're not going to read the whole story here. I think it, I, I, I love it because Paul ends up in jail, and, and, and out of this process, there's all kinds of challenges that, that happen for Paul. But look at Acts 16, 16 through 18. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, um, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Did you see what the spirit, what the, what the demon was saying about who these men were? These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And yet Jesus is silencing them. Jesus continues to, to quiet them down. Um, one of the things that I really wrestle with is why does Jesus throughout this whole process, why is he always quieting these guys down? And even when he starts healing other people, we're going to see uh, some other healings where, where he'll actually tell them, shh, don't say anything. Shh, shh, shh. Don't say anything. I'll be really honest with you. I don't have the exact answer. I would love to have given you an authoritative. This is why he did it. I have some ideas, and I'm going to share those with you right now. Why do I think that Jesus silenced the demons? I, there's, a, there's this one side of me that says, well, you really don't want your enemy uh, going around telling you how great you are, right? I mean, if I were to go around praising Toyota RAV4s, would that not cause you some alarm about the Toyota RAV4? No, okay. That maybe that's not a great illustration. <laughs> I I have one. I can get it to you. No, I, you know I I think that 
we see the Pharisees at one time actually accuse Jesus of being the father of the demons, of the unclean spirits, because when, when the demons are responding, they're going, hey, see, he controls them. That's, that's why uh, they do the stuff that they do is because he's in charge of them. He's the father of the demons. He's, he's Satan, and he's from Satan. And so they use, the, the Pharisees actually use the demons' response to Jesus as an accusation against him. But I, I believe that there might be a greater and more important reason. And I believe it's because it is the job of the disciples. It was God's plan to have his disciples share and testify to who he is. Look at Luke chapter 19. We are coming into Easter here shortly, and this is one of the passages that talks about uh, what happened as Jesus came in. Luke chapter 19, we're going to just pick up in verse 37 this morning. It says this, 19 verse 37, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, No teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And back in Romans, back to Romans chapter 10, we're going to finish up that, that passage where we were talking about um, the, the belief idea, if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart, we see in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. I believe that one of the reasons that, that Jesus was silencing and, and uh, silencing the, the enemy, the, the unclean spirits or the demons, was because in his relationship with his disciples, he was going to build in them and teach in them the, the commission of testifying. A disciple will testify about who Jesus is. If you and I are, are truly his, then it is our job to share with others what has happened, who Jesus is, and what he's done. By design. I believe it's by design. How do you and I share what we do not already know? How do we share about Jesus if we're not his, if we're not in relationship with him? Do you see how it causes us to have to go to him? That design causes us to need to be in relationship with Him, to need to pursue a relationship with Jesus, to need to seek Him and be found by Him. What does that mean for you and for me? I, I, I am encouraged by the fact that the disciples are on the beginning process of a relationship with Jesus. Aren't you glad they get a start from the beginning? 
aren't you glad that they weren't like prodigies and already had all their theology ready and everything done, that Jesus brought them in right where they were at? He called them off the fishing boats and said, come and follow me. And they're like, oh, okay. That's where he called these guys from. We're going to see them wrestle with who they were, what they thought they knew about God and the Bible and all of these things, what they thought they understood about the Messiah and who he was. And Jesus is going to take them on a journey and a relationship that transforms everything that they thought they knew about him. And it's going to end with them changing the world. The world. Many of them dying for what they became convinced of in their relationship with Jesus. That's encouraging to me because where I'm at today, I'm right on track with where he's taking me. I believe where you're at today is right where he intends and he knows that you are. Wherever you're at in your understanding of who Jesus is and what you believe about him is right where he knows you are. And it's okay because he's faithful and he's a God that takes these 12 disciples And he walks them through a life experience that they could have never done on their own. They probably wouldn't have chosen on their own. And he uses them to change the world. What would God possibly want to do with a small church in Liberty Lake? With a bunch of people who are on a journey of getting to know Jesus for who he is. What could he possibly hope to accomplish in our little community? as we learn more and more about him, as we grow in our faith and understanding of who he is and who he's made us to be. I believe that it's an unfathomable potential for Liberty Lake community and the people that live next to us. It's a journey that we're on. Where are you at in that? It's okay. Where's God taking us? into a relationship with him that's deeper and greater than we ever could have thought or imagined. I hope you're ready. I hope you're interested. I hope you're watching for who Jesus is in this process because that's part of what we're going to experience uh, as we continue through Mark and as we continue to seek him. Father, would you transform our thinking as we consider what it means to know you this week, as we consider what it means to be in relationship with you, as we think through what the disciples must have been going through at this time, to begin to follow you, Lord Jesus, as you're healing people and casting out demons and crowds, many, many, many people are just thronging to you in, in huge droves of people. Thousands and thousands are beginning to follow you over the next year or so of their ministry as they watch you perform all these wonderful signs. The many emotional challenges and conflicts that we're going to watch them go through over the next few months in the Gospel of Mark. Father, help us to see in our own lives where those challenges are, where those dips are in our relationship with you, the spots where we don't see you for who you are. The times, God, when you're crying out to us in, in, through your word or, or through a life experience saying, hey, I'm over here. Oh, Lord, that we would respond to you 
that as we seek you, God, you would make yourself known to us. May you be glorified in the worship of your church this week. Would you be glorified in the praise of your church this week? Oh, Lord, that you would be glorified in the lives of your church this week as we live surrendered for you. And we take our responsibility to tell others what we know seriously. May you be glorified in your church, Lord. 